As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? mad? Hey, Louisa, what's up? Hey, Jake, how's it going? Good, good. I'm just chilling. Busy week, getting ready for I'm my just- tour. I know, me too. Since we're both going out of town, doing several trips, we've crammed a lot of podcasts into one week, so it feels weird to talk to you more than once a week, but I like it. It's nice. Uh, To make it a little easier, we've got a guest to make it so that it's not just me and Jake all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm super excited about this guest. Peter, say hello. So we have Peter McGraw. Uh, Shit, I didn't even look up your like real credentials, but he is a professor of psychology and marketing. He runs the Humor Research Lab. He wrote a book about comedy around the world, you know, like cultural differences and that kind of stuff. Um, And he is the host of a podcast called Solo how to live a remarkable life, I believe. Peter, correct everything that I said wrong. Say hello. You got most of it. Hello, uh, Jake. Hello, Louisa. <laughs> it's great to see. You. I look forward to being the cream in your uh, Oreo today. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, We're pretty creamy. I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, exactly. Um, because this came about um, so many ways. Okay, so basically what happened is, man, like I almost don't even know to, wh- where to start, but... Peter, you said you listened to our solo episode. That's the one that we had Brett Payne on from yes. Street Fight. By the way, um, I want to point something out about that episode. It's yeah. called Alone because there's a glitch in the SoundCloud encoding process. Usually I make a joke out of the episode title. So it was supposed to be called Why You Alone. But oh, I see. <laughs> it won't put the Why You in it because that's also the name of the show. And so that's why it has a very serious title. It's not supposed to be that serious. It's supposed to be a joke. I think you can fix it. We'll try to fix it. But anyway, the Why You Alone episode or Alone, a.k.a. Alone. Alone. It's an episode that has two names now. (laughs) Um, That one came about because, um, you know, this podcast, Peter, Jake and I started it, you know, to introduce you to the Why You Mad lore. Jake and I started it because we are friends who met each other through a comedy festival. And we always had good conversations about comedy where I felt like he was very honest and critical about the industry and about the, his place in it and all of that stuff. And I guess he also appreciated my critical lens towards the booking side of it and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we just always had good, honest conversations. So we started this podcast to, quote, be mad about things in comedy that other people don't ever want to tackle directly. Mm-hmm. Right. And little by little, that has grown into different things that make us mad or really what that's shorthand for is that uh, bring conflict into our lives, let's say. And naturally, at some point, we have discussed our relationships and our um, views on those and such. And I don't want to speak for Jake, but for me personally, um, I I guess I came out (laughs) on this podcast as being a solo uh, you know, never wanting to get married, not wanting to have children and dating in a particular way where uh, the escalator is actually the opposite of what I'm looking for and being very honest with people and offering that up. And I brought it up just as like, here's me being weird me. <laughs> and I just like shared it. And since we started talking about it, um, a bunch of people have come out of the woodwork to talk to me about it, mm-hmm. whether it's because they identify with this and they've already been living it or because they are new to it and are considering it as their path or because they had never thought that this was a possibility and they're shocked to even like consider it. 
And listening to your show, it's really interesting because you use this term um, single advocate, right? Or solo advocates, which I was like, oh, I guess that's what I am (laughs) because I'm a person who's like publicly speaking about this stuff. And then like very naturally, one day uh, our our listeners started writing to us about uh, how we should have Brett on because Brett, uh, who is the host of another podcast that's very popular, he was going through a divorce and he had been speaking about this idea that maybe he thought his path should be a solo life moving forward. And all these listeners of both podcasts were like, you guys should have Brett on to talk specifically about this. So that's how that came about. And then Brett, when he was on the show, he brings up that he got this idea from listening to your podcast, or at least you were one of the inspirations for it, which I like, I was immediately like, oh my God, no way. He's my friend. <laughs> you know, and it's like <laughs> so crazy to me because um, I, you know, and I'm sorry that this is like me just rambling my whole background story to all of this, but I'm going to let you both talk in a second. But, um, you know, I, I would say that I've been solo for about like 10 or 11 years. Before that, I was in a, a monogamous relationship for about another 10 years. Um, and I remember Peter, funnily enough, also met him through a comedy festival. So I met him through comedy and through Twitter. And Peter, I mean, I'll let you speak to this because I'm not really sure what brought us together, but it was very interesting because it was this like sort of feeling that we were each living a remarkable life that we were interested Mm -hmm. in knowing how you like the other was living differently, I guess. And I definitely didn't have the words for it back when I met you. But basically, I met him online, Jake. And then um, I was going through this period of going through all the to all the comedy festivals, which is when I met Jake as well. And I went to Denver for High Plains Comedy Festival. And I tweeted about it. And Peter was like, you know, I teach at Boulder. I'll come down. We'll have dinner. It'll be great. And we met up and we had dinner. And then we had an awesome conversation after dinner, just like sitting on a wall outside on a sidewalk. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, you have a good memory. Yeah, I have never forgotten it, Peter, because it was like um, one of the first times that I really had like had to vocalize my feelings about relationships and my feelings around not wanting to be defined by another person or by my relationship to other people um, and to and wanting to be like work on my self-realization and being a whole person who then can have relationships with other people but those Mm -hmm. are not definitive of who I am and you were one of the first people that I think I ever vocalized that to and not just that but that you received it in such a like great way of not just encouraging it but identifying with it that was just wonderful it's one of the meetings of the minds moments that i've had in my life that was so encouraging and so then years later you started um the solo podcast yes and it's super interesting and this is basically why i brought you here because i think i've never asked you first of all how you came to your solo identification like when did this happen because i don't think either one of us ever said to each other this is my label or anything like no, that. No, I, I didn't even know the label existed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So tell us, tell us how your, what was your journey to identifying a solo? Uh, well, that's a lovely story, Luis. I, I'm so happy I forced my friendship on you. <laughs> I, I, I I'm glad this. I accepted it. I loved it. <laughs> I do this often. It was, it's, you know, whoever thinks the Twitter is total shit, just know mm-hmm. that keep an eye out for, for interesting people. Yeah. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. I so my only other correction, only because mm-hmm. I my first podcast, which you have appeared on, yes, um, I didn't ever cared if anyone listened, but I actually care that someone 
some people listen to to solo and the, so the subtitle so to speak is the single person's guide to a remarkable life which right. is a little clunky Ooh. but i think does capture the the orientation uh, that i have and and the reason i want people to listen is because i do believe um I, I believe that this is the beginning of I, I, a movement's a strong word, but you know that people need to hear this, and and it's not being discussed in a way that that I think matters. I think there's a lot of people who are closeted solos; they don't yeah. have a language, and and yeah. so before I get into my story, can I? I want to ask you two a question because yeah. you've used the term relationship escalator mm-hmm. or an escalator relationship. I've had Amy Guerin, who, is, who has written about the relationship escalator on my podcast. It blew my mind. It's one of, I think, the most important episodes that I've, that I've taped. So you use it offhandedly. Do your listeners know what that means? How did you come about? I just, I'm so curious about uh, the, because language is such an important part of the yeah. conversation. Um, I, Jake, did you know it before I brought it up on this podcast? Um, I think that you and I had discussed it and you had explained it to me. I'm not sure if it was on the show okay. or not, but I feel like it has been explained on the show at one okay. point. However, we are it's possibly running yeah. a risk of using it without having context. If, uh, we have, you know. no, we've explained it on the podcast because, um, it's pretty central to my dating philosophy is to identify people who do operate under that framework and and you know and avoid them and avoid them yeah (laughs) and and make it clear that i'm not for them and they're not for me yes uh i think it's like one of the main things that i try to ascertain upon first meeting someone i'm interested in Mm -hmm. uh because there's no point in in wasting any time either theirs or mine Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's great. And you know, in some ways, you can you can describe the relationship escalator, and you already have a hunch as to what it is because almost every valued romantic relationship in the world meets that criteria. Yeah. You know, and people sing about it, and you see it in rom coms, and you read about it in Jane Austen um, novels, and and so on. So you know, I. I was thinking a little bit about this. So I launched solo um, a little bit before I turned 50. Mm-hmm. But the seeds of the podcast, I think, were planted at age 15, more or less. Okay. And and the reason for that was I, I was part of a, a lunch table in high school. And it was a great table. Uh, I, mean, I don't think the rest of the school thought it was a great table, but I thought it was a great table. Um, it was a diverse group of of guys who were smart and charismatic and funny, and um, and it was it was it was an exciting place to be every day, you know. And I felt lucky to be part of it. And one because I felt like I wasn't as smart and I wasn't as charismatic and I wasn't as funny as the rest of the guys, and so I I felt I felt lucky that they they kind of had me. But the, the topic of marriage came up. And so this is 1985, again, more or less. And the average age in which a man got married in the United States in, in 1985 was about 25. Mm. It's now over 30. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's been a, a steep increase since the 70s in the average age of marriage, both in the U.S., excuse me, both for men and women in the U.S. Um, and I remember we talked about when we would get married. Mm-hmm. We're making predictions when yeah. we get married, and it's not an if question, right? It's Ex- a it's a when. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So no one there said I'm never getting married. Yeah, 
at, at all. And I was the oldest age at the table. And I remember I said, ah, I probably won't get married till I'm in my 30s. So at age 15, I was already putting it off. I was already <laughs> delaying marriage. <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't, exa- that wasn't a, a surprising thing because my role models, my parents, were terrible at marriage. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were pretty terrible at being people in many ways. You know, I um, yeah. bless them. They're both past. Um, they had very tragic lives and they, aside from being sort of tall, thin and good looking, they never should have gotten together. I mean, thankfully (laughs) they did because for me and my sister's sake. Yeah. And so they had a bitter divorce, a good, you know, I'm glad they got divorced. They had a bitter divorce. And I just, so I just never saw that as, um, as a, as a path to happiness. You know, I wasn't. I, I just lived it and it, it didn't look yeah. so great in that sense. And then the other thing was, I just think that early on, in part because that household was so unhappy, I was so eager to get out. I was so eager to pursue my freedom that I, that I, I won as I had this suspicion that this was a path to happiness. And then I just so craved autonomy and ability to make my own decisions and to live exactly. on my own. And so yeah. on, that that started to set me off on a path. I think that I'll then the last third element to that was I was not good with the ladies. <laughs> right? So I was a late bloomer um, when it came to um, to girls. Yeah. And isn't, isn't that funny? Sorry to interrupt you, but don't you please? think like, you know, I think about serial monogamists a lot. And I somebody made a joke recently on Twitter where they were like, uh, why call it serial monogamy when it's just be it's called being hot and people want to date you, you know? And <laughs> right. I was like, I guess it's pretty funny because that is probably why how serial monogamists become serial monogamists is because they have they're good with the opposite sex or the sex that they're trying to the yes. gender they're trying to have sex with, and they get good response or they are attractive to the gender that they are attracted to. So they have continuous opportunity presented to them mm-hmm. and they jump into these relationships without considering the quality of relationships. It's just, there's always one available. I right? see. Yeah. That's so it's kind of, you know, like it could affect, it can go both ways. Right. What were you going to say, Jake? Uh, something that's kind of interesting to me about yeah. that is that like a lot of times people that I talk to who are monogamous and are or even like serial monogamous that are just like relationship people, say that they're really bad at dating and they hate dating and they, they, that's yeah. why they are in relationships because they dread mm. the idea of getting back into the of pool having or to whatever. know people yeah exactly yeah and they've got and then something spin like they start to heat something up on a back burner mm-hmm. right as, yeah. uh, as one starts to uh and to they're fade. like it's uh easier to maintain these refried beans than to have to cook something <laughs> new and delicious up every single night and it's like okay well i guess do that if you you're happy with that i don't know but sorry not to dive into uh divert the conversation where were you going continue oh no no i think you know and so i think that in in many ways this sort of served up a cocktail for mm-hmm. for you know, where I am today now, 35 years later, um, you know, I, I'm a late bloomer and I think there's a lot good that came of that. You know, I really, I set out on a path of self-improvement in part to become appealing. If I'm really honest with myself, a lot of my achievement in life was designed at least in part to impress women. Right. Um, you know, unfortunately it never impresses them as much as you, as you want, (laughs) as you wanted to. Um, 
And then the other thing is, you know, it, it gave me a great gift. And that was, I was lucky not to dislike women because they weren't interested in me romantically. And so I've always, once I got into college, I got, you know, I got friend zoned a lot. Mm -hmm. I friend zoned myself a lot. But as a result, I had these amazing relationships, friendships with women. And so um, that's something that I think was really good for me, you know. And so I had these rich, meaningful relationships with both men and women I have to this day, regardless of whether I'm dating someone or not. You know, it's really funny uh, because I hadn't really considered it, but I had been thinking about the fact that um, I am friends with a lot of men. I would say probably the majority of my friends are men. And it's not that I don't get along with women, but I think it's kind of that thing where through high school and elementary school, like I was not the attractive girl that all the men, all the boys wanted to hit on or like be boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever. But I was the girl that they liked talking to and that they liked playing games with and that they invited to their things. And and if I may, yeah, they could be themselves around you. Exactly. Which is exactly. Which allowed I really me, like about you. Yes. Yeah. Which also allowed me to get to know men for who they really are, not for who they pretended to be when the pretty girls were around. Indeed. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, which also made it, I think, more realistic, my expectations of them. You know, because I didn't, you know, two things. One was, you know, you talked about the role models that you had. And for me, it was that I grew up in a world where I was faced with a lot of widows who oh. were like young widows and whose lives were completely destroyed upon losing their breadwinning husband. Oh, right. Yes. They didn't have another way to be breadwinners and they had to go on to another husband. And it was... um very clear to me that it, the dependency on a husband was not the way that I wanted to go mm -hmm. from age 15. And yes. so it's very funny because it's something that, uh, Peter, like I used to be told from my mom and family and everything, oh, you'll change your mind. You're just being rebellious. You're just, you'll see, you'll want to get married. You Nobody wants to die alone. And I like the older that I get, I'm like, I was so right. You bitches are so miserable. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, this is great. It's going great. Jake, I know that you don't particularly define yourself as solo. Is any of the stuff that we've talked about resonating for you? Or like, how do you feel about it? Yeah, no, you're making me think about a lot of stuff I haven't thought about in a minute. Like how the like family stuff plays into it. Because I, yeah. you just made me think about something I haven't kind of drudged in my head for a while but there's a part of that where um i'm like a black sheep kind of in my family my family's my immediate family we're all pretty weird but like i'm uh i think you know probably if you were looking at us you'd go oh he's the one that just went off my whole thing is i was like fuck this i'm gonna go you know do something like interesting yeah, like, weird artist yeah. i <laughs> felt very much like you only go around one time and like mm -hmm. fuck it i'm gonna do as crazy of a thing as possible and that you know immediately expressed itself in something like trying to become a comedian or something like that but like also like when i was um i think a lot of the reason i don't have a lot of the trad stuff in me even though i did have a family that like the mexican side of it is very catholic and conservative and like big on that sort of stuff is that uh when i was a kid i immediately had all of the atheist thoughts and all of the i think this is bullshit thoughts or whatever and b also because i think i was like a latchkey kid like i my parents both worked and stuff and i just had a lot of time to think and in a lot of ways i was raised by like the media i was consuming rather than like some sort of like presence you know 
um, I didn't trust my parents and I, didn't, I kind of thought they were bullshitting me. And I think it's because they were because we didn't have like really, really uh, close relationship where we would talk to each other. We had a relationship where they would dictate things to me. Yes. Uh-huh. So what I did is when I was a teenager, my uh, mom used to always say like, well, you can do whatever you want once you move out and you're 18 or whatever. And what I did is I called her bluff. And like, I think <laughs> that she thought after a few years of being out on your own, you'll spin out and you'll go like, okay, now I believe you and I want your wisdom and please tell me how to live my life but uh i kept going and (laughs) i like informed myself by reading a lot and stuff like that and like really trying to make sense of the world rather than relying on a secondary system to like dictate it to me and i think that's how i got here and i do not um regret it at all i in fact it stresses me out to no end when i see people who i'm like oh you almost did this but you didn't keep going and if you keep going there's all this great shit out here like i feel you know great about this and i mean it stresses me out sometimes because you just you can't do life more than one time so like you do kind of wonder like is the grass always greener on the other side should i have moved to los angeles but i'm in new york but if i moved (laughs) if i lived in los angeles i'd just be thinking about new york the whole time in the same way and with like relationship stuff i thought about it good and hard and i kind of was at this place for a while where i was like um maybe it's Maybe I will never know, but um, really reading like theory and like reading weird shit like Sex at Dawn was kind of the first thing that really mm-hmm. set me off at looking at this like analytically kind of gave me enough confidence to go. This is one of those situations where you're right and everyone around you is not and you're not going to convince them. But like you need to go with your gut on this, you know? Yeah. So like I don't even know. um I don't know how I identify. Uh, the language has always been really tricky to me because of h- how much like it carries for other people. So like poly yeah. is just a fucking horrible word. It's um, not a bad way to describe the thing, but especially in the circles I run in, it's like a punchline and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, <laughs> to bring it back to the title of that podcast episode, I mean, I-, I was thinking the other day about this and I was thinking about this joke that my friend Blake told that when he did stand up, it was always so funny to me where he was like, um, he was talking about getting older and he was like, I'm getting to that age where like, uh, I'm not so much single as I am alone. Maybe if I could spin that in a positive way, that is. Kind well, of but can I tell you that I think that Peter and I are spinning that in a positive way? I think that's <laughs> right. Thing, yeah. I, yeah. The joke I is agree. funny because it spins it negatively. But honestly, yeah. no, I, I feel very secure. But, being but alone. hold on. This is part of our problem. Right. And I think this is part of why Peter's podcast solo is amazing. And part of why I have been publicly talking about my views on this is because I do think that it's necessary to have a public conversation that contradicts what the dominant narrative is because Mm -hmm. the dominant narrative around single people is this like sad cat lady shit like nobody must want you uh this must be like obviously you're pretending that you want this and it's like pretty crazy (laughs) okay so like let me okay let me give you an example of one narrative that i want to hear from both of you on because i think that it affects us differently if we're men or women Mm -hmm. uh or like based on our gender i guess i should say uh which is this idea of fear of commitment right Mm -hmm. so have you heard that one for like our entire lives oh my goodness yeah and i think that it's uh most often applied to men as a pressuring way to be like why aren't you willing to get married or move in or bring this to the next level of that escalator um and now i would say that there are women out there who maybe like self-identify as having fear of commitment issues but a lot of times i think if you talk through those a lot of those people are people who actually like just didn't want that commitment right 
And it's not anything about being afraid of it. It's like, literally, we don't want it. And we're trying to tell you we don't want it. So don't date us if you do want that kind of commit, that kind of thing. So how, how has this narrative impacted you? Like, is it something that you have identified with that has been applied to you? Um, I don't know. Go ahead, Peter, if you want to go. Well, I want to say, I want to say one thing briefly about the word solo for Jake's sense, um, Mm -hmm. um, for Jake. And that is there's two ways you can interpret solo. You can interpret it as I am single and I'm proud and I want to be that way. The other way is you could think of it as an orientation, which is an orientation towards completeness. I am a complete human being. I'm not going to rely on someone else to complete me. Right. And a focus on autonomy in a, in a way, an autonomy, whether you are single or whether you're in a relationship. So I do believe that you can be solo and partnered. Right. But the way you behave within that relationship is, is really often quite different. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want that to slip away. No, and we're going to get into talking about different types of solos um, yes. after we get past the personal okay. thing. Uh, because there is a lot to talk about there, but um, I don't want to jump into it. Yeah, we, me, we're going to we're gonna figure out what type of single you you two we are. are. I okay. think. Yeah, yeah, I'm, exactly. excited. I'm excited. Yeah. There's a lot of meat there, I think. Exactly. So, Louisa, what your your question is really compelling because this idea of co- commitment phobic, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, having a fear of commitment does come up a lot. Uh, that's there. I often talk about, you know, people say, "Are you?" Um, uh, and I always say, like, "Well, why are you addicted to relationships? Why are you addicted yeah. to commitment?" Like, that's the flip side of <laughs> that's that. That's a great no way to put talks, it. I yeah. love it. I'm going to start ever, using that. <laughs> right? Why? That no one ever thinks uh, to put it that way. So, yeah. on one hand, I do think that it is. Compl- it can be a really false narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's a false narrative with me. Um, so the 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 term Peter Pan comes up a right. lot. Um, it also a lot hurts. Of, uh, the pl- a lot of commentary about how men don't grow up anymore these days. That's right. Right. Yes. And it's very funny because as a woman who, quote unquote, I guess, isn't growing up. I'm like, oh, weird that yes. nobody's lobbing that at me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so I, my name is Peter. So Peter Pan is especially hurtful. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, but I, I really um, I chafe at that idea. And, and, and for several reasons, you know, one is um, I'm I am a grown up. You know what I mean? Like I, and, and to me, the definition of a grown up actually came up in a recent podcast, uh, for solo, an episode called waiting, which I think is an incredible episode in which, what does it mean to be an adult? What does it mean to be a grown up? Now you could choose an arbitrary criterion, which is to be married and have kids, right? Mm -hmm. That is a grown up in a sense. Um, you know, this moral imperative, you know, that, that may exist. But, um, but my guest co-host, Iris, um, I thought had a beautiful definition of what does it mean to be an adult? And to be an adult is to be able to parent yourself. Yeah. Right. To, That's right. Great. Yeah. Right. And so the moment you can parent yourself, in my opinion, you are an adult. And what it also means is that you may be married with children and not be an adult. Absolutely. Because your partner is parenting you in addition to the, the, the children. children. Right. Totally. And we and we all, I think a lot of people have experiences with their own parents where if you're honest, you can look back and recognize that they were not adults 
in the yes. way that they chose to handle situations. Yeah, totally. Yes. That was kind yeah. of a big one for me too. Yeah. It's just realizing like, oh, no one knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Like, they're <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. And so, and it's um, great that you bring that up, Peter, because it's, for me, the, my soloness, I think came from that ideal of like, I, I chafe at this idea of uh, finding your other half, you yes. know, of like, oh, so I'm supposed to not be a complete person and wait for some other person to complete me and to be this perfect match of what we're each missing in order for our lives. Like, what kind mm -hmm. of crazy math is that? I can't handle that. So it wasn't so much a uh, fear of commitment of rejecting others as much as it was a focus on building myself up. Indeed. To not be dependent on others for my identity or my needs. Yes. Yeah. Right? There's a there's a false belief also when it's uh, when, with this idea of being an adult. And that is, I think being an adult is a little bit overrated. Right. Right. So we actually want to we celebrate childhood. Right. Childhood is filled with joy, with laughter, with curiosity, discovery. with discovery, yeah. with growth. And then at some point you get to a certain age and it's like, okay, stop all that. It's time mm -hmm. to get serious. And yeah. so I like the idea that I might not be fully grown up, even though I can parent myself. I agree. And, and then I can, I can have a playful growth oriented thing. Yeah. The last thing, the last thing I'll say is this is having a fear of commitment is in some ways rational. It's overlooked because what we do is we we look at the at the joy and we look at the excitement and falling in love is wonderful and fun um, and consuming. But it also and we've all been there and anybody listening who's fallen in love have have experienced the other side of it, mm -hmm. the heartbreak, the um Despair. The potential abuse, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah. so you say, well, what is like, what is the, one of the riskiest things that a woman can do? And that is she can get married. Yep. Right. right. Like, um, and so, you know, like who, you know, who murders women? Their husbands, Their husbands. maybe. <laughs> and so, yeah. so, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not saying this in, in a way to dissuade people. Uh, Solo is, um, is not anti-marriage. It just mm -hmm. thinks it's overprescribed. And so, yeah. so there is some rationality to having a little bit of suspicion and, and not just jumping in with both feet because bad relationships can be really devastating yeah. Um, yeah. and divorces can be really devastating, especially because of the conversation that we have society, societally, because people see their divorce as a failure rather yeah. than as a potential celebration as an escape from something. Mm -hmm. so. Right. Exactly. I have a, a couple of friends that had to party when they got divorced. I thought it was pretty cool. Like <laughs> the way you have a ceremony when you have a wedding. Okay, one in, one on the way in and one on the way out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to a re-bachelor party. It's yeah. a lot of fun. It's cool. Oh, I um, love that. You, you just fucking kind of started to jump in here, but I kind of no. got my wheels spinning thinking about something, which is um, I haven't really talked about this much because it's a very serious issue and it raises all sorts of legal questions and stuff, but... Um, I, so one thing that really played into this for me with making like uh, decisions about this sort of stuff and actually like jumping off the diving board and sort of like going through the plunge is uh, depression, man. And like really honest questions of like, 
what am I going to do with my life and um, noticing it in other people and, you know, even to the extent of like suicidal ideation and stuff like that. Part part of the reason every comic is a lunatic is because this is like a, something that you do like me personally, where I was at one point when I was very young thinking like, I don't know if I want to do this, all this stuff I'm supposed to do. And then I thought about killing myself and then I didn't. And the day after I didn't, I went... Well, now I'm free to do whatever I want because everything oh, wow. is in relation to where I just put all this stuff. Wow, that's a really interesting way to fucking. Because I knew. Were you reading Camus when you decided yeah. not to? <laughs> it's, it's, it's very much in that vein, yeah. And yeah. so then I thought I woke up the next day and I went, okay, so now I can think about things without any framing and any judgment that's amazing wow and so i think that that is kind of where i got with getting over the hump with like monogamy stuff because this question of like um the language of uh what would you say fear of commitment right Mm -hmm. i used to feel that but i think when you feel that about yourself when you're in a relationship is you're internalizing that thing that other people are telling you you're failing to to meet the, the standard. So two yeah. things happened with me. Is what I started to understand that that was an internalization of a problem because I had given myself this clarity of like, wait, wait, wait. How about we just relook at everything and then mm. decide? Yeah, it's a reboot. Up. You completely mm-hmm. were able to reboot your life. Yeah, and I started to realize like, you know, I, I had a sneaking suspicion that um, sometimes people get into situations that they don't want to be in, but then there's no really social way acceptably to defy it because there's all these this language and all this stigma and stuff like that but it really got rid of a lot of the stigma for me so like uh, i also got really into doug stanhope this is when i was starting doing comedy and he talks about suicide a lot and he talk and he's extremely individualistic and he lives in the fucking compound in the desert and stuff and he's just mm-hmm. kind of an adult who like drinks all the time and does acid and stuff and has like a hundred but he also has a uh, light long-term life partner that is a non-monogamous sexual partner right yeah and he very much is like so when i was starting doing comedy i was like yeah. that that path i want to go <laughs> yeah. down this path of this person who forged out like you can literally do whatever you want and you understand deep down that that's true but that there's you know a lot of automatons walking around reinforcing like this stuff that you know you know you don't want to do and i was like yeah. i only you only get one life i'm gonna do it as hard as possible and explore it as much as possible and so i ended up getting there and the other thing that helped a lot was fucking anti-capitalist theory and stuff like that because i started to realize why all of these pieces are you know in the orientation they're in and how um the family structure and stuff like that is uh, is it's i learned this stuff parallel to understanding that capitalism is a paradigm and you have this moment when you understand that capitalism is a paradigm that you understand it's only a few hundred years old that hasn't always been like this but it's presenting itself as an eternal truth and when you understand Mm -hmm. that you start to go oh wait a minute okay so i don't I'm like letting that paradigm inform all of these decisions I'm making about it. And if I understand that it's not actually real and that it's a con- constructed thing or whatever, you know, th- you're no longer beholden to it. Yeah. And it undoes like these things that aren't really absolute. Mm-hmm. They're just uh, yeah. like paranoias that we, that we use to enforce the fucking thing. And so I think from there, I really became really okay with first just being single because when i was in your when you're in your 20s all the culture is like dating and stuff like that and i was like Mm -hmm. yeah i like dating i mean i like you know women and i like sex and stuff like that but it's also entirely okay to be uh you know to just do whatever you want and um so i (laughs) it's weird because you see i mean you see like like sometimes like 
alt-right people like almost get it and they take it in a horrible direction so like men going their own way became became a weird like incel-ish kind of culture oh right and that's kind of like on a parallel with solo stuff (laughs) kind of is but like they went really i don't actually know that much about them (laughs) there's some similar there are some similarities Yeah. yeah i think i went down the i went down that um manosphere rabbit hole and it's it can be a scary place yeah it's like it's yeah. weird because it's it's all it's like what happens with politics where it's like radicalization but in the wrong direction like realizing yeah. this is all bullshit and then they right uh what is it right diagnosis wrong prescription i guess is the way you would put right. it whatever yeah um so there's stuff like that but then also um what the fuck was the other thing i was gonna get to oh <laughs> the other thing about this is that um i you know also became like very like I'm consistent with my politics and I am dead serious about being against capitalism and things like that. And it occurred to me after a while, like it's so funny because everybody my age uses the term patriarchy. We're all going to destroy the patriarchy and then we all get married. And it's like, what do you think the patriarchy Mm -hmm. is? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Jake, for getting black pills on behalf of my cause. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, no. And so like speaking of shattering paradigms, right. um, One of the things that I love about solo is that um, it even shattered the paradigm for me of what being solo means because, you know, um, I guess, uh, like I've had people write to me and ask me about like books that I've read that helped with this. And I don't really have recommendations because there weren't any, Peter. Like, I don't know if you have some now, maybe recently, but I felt like this approach to life was something that I did develop kind of for myself and by myself. And then in, uh, I just, I had some illuminating, illuminating conversations with people like you, Peter, throughout my life that kind of reaffirmed the direction that I was going in, but I didn't really have a pre-existing framework. So my sense of what it means to be solo was this, this um, version where um, it is about self-realization. It is an orientation towards the self and towards having relationships, not be the definitive factor of identity and also not having relationships be transactional and um, part of like my survival mm-hmm. instincts yes. or mechanisms, but to be purely by choice and pleasurable to both parties. And um, what is interesting about solo is that I have learned that there are so many more different kinds of solo and soloisms. I don't know, (laughs) you know, because Jake, there's like people, you know, and and once I hear like, obviously, I knew about these people before, but I hadn't really realized that they are a type of solo. So like, for example, um, people who want to have a child and go off and have a child by themselves, right. Mm -hmm. And from, you know, uh, conception through raising the child, this child has one parent, and they signed up for this deal on their own. That is a crazy, amazing, brave, different kind of way yes, to live life that I mm-hmm. think is so committed to like what you know you want in life and committed to the work that that's all going to be. That is amazing to hear about. Then there are talk people about who, smashing the patriarchy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. And then there are people who are asexual or aromantic and don't actually have a need for any of these frameworks and should exist as not freaks and not weirdos in the world. So then there's like a giant spectrum between that. Um, you know, I, Peter, have spoken about being solo poly here. Mm-hmm. And the way that I always speak about it is like the emphasis is on the solo, not the, po- the poly, because I don't have a requirement for multiple partners or multiple relationships. 
It's more that my because my focus is on my own development and my own maintenance and support system, I know what I can offer to people. And therefore, I understand that if they need other things from other people, I have to be okay with that. Because right, I'm not going to offer it to you. Mm -hmm. So therefore, Polly becomes kind of like a secondary function of supporting my ability to be solo. I see. Yeah, in a way where like polygamists will talk about um, how being polygamous allows them to have a family the size that they would like because they have more caregivers and that kind of thing. Polyamory is an aspect, it's like a tool that functions to support my soloness. It's not a requirement. I'm not a person that needs to have multiple partners and multiple relationships. I've been monogamous a lot of times in my life. Um, and so up until I started listening to solo, I think that I hadn't really separated those two to understand that the solo thing, I think, is an identity on its own. Yes. And the poly thing is just like maybe like uh, a, a framework that I can pick up and put down as needed, depending on partner or partners that I'm with. But the solo thing never changes. It doesn't go away. Yes. And I think once you have yeah. that orientation, you, you don't want to give it up and, you, and yeah. you don't need to with the right partner or partner. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. I want to know, uh, how long have you been doing the show now? I think I'm like 87 episodes in. So Okay. Um, so um, just because I experience a lot of weird questions dating as a solo person in New York City, What's I want to know, what are some of the most common questions you get, not just from, like, let's say, listeners of the show, but also separately from women that you date? How What's your approach in dating? How do you talk to them about being solo? Are you out with it at first? What's the deal? <laughs> what do we do here? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so it's interesting. I get a lot of suggestions from listeners. You know, my most common response from a listener is incredibly uplifting, actually. It's and and. Nothing have I ever done has gotten as much positive response as this. Um, I, I regularly get DMs and emails saying, thank you. I feel yeah. heard. I shout hallelujah and amen at times listening to the podcast. Um, it's really, it's really uplifting to, to reach people. And these are people who are finding it. You know, I, I have done a very poor job of promoting it. Um, it's why I'm very excited to be here to, <laughs> to be able to reach people. Um, and people are finding it, frankly, via search or via word of mouth. People are telling yeah. others about it. And so, um, in my, in my dating life, it has complicated things, I would say, but it has also illuminated, um, how I wasn't a, a good fit for a kind of a traditional sort of heteronormative escalator relationship. Um, I, I do think to respond to a few things that Jake said is I was listening to you, Jake, and I was like, is it any surprise that this is coming out of comedy? Right. Like this idea that comics are at the forefront of um, of being unconventional about relationships because comics are good about questioning the status quo. Right. They're that's, just naturally rebellious and counter normative. That's why I brought up Stanhope because like, because he fixates so much on suicide. I think that he's using that in the same way that I was discussing. Cause he, he talks a lot about things that you are not supposed to talk about, yes. which is the role of a comedian, like a truth teller style comedian right. classically. Right. And so one of the things that he talks about is how people, the things that drive people to suicide. And some of those are like being in 
like relationships that you don't want to be in, which is a thing that you are not supposed to say out loud. Because you're right. working a job to maintain a family that you hate the job and you don't even really like the family. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like yeah. another one that's real big is he talks about the, dis- yeah. you can tell that he grappled a lot with whether or not to, yeah. to do all this stuff because he talks a lot about having kids and how he's like very like anti having kids and he's got a vasectomy mm-hmm. and he does all these jokes about abortions and stuff like that. But something that he talks about that I'm kind of fascinated with is uh, this thing where, you don't actually believe people with kids deep down when they say, oh, but I love them. It's great. You'll see once you have kids. I think he does a mm-hmm. joke about this where he's like, then once you have the kid, they're like, gotcha. And they're, all they've done is <laughs> invited you into sharing the pain with them. And then that's 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 the jokes that people make about like getting married and stuff like that. It's like, ah, you yeah, got roped in. You got ball tricked. And chain. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm actually not going to do that because you are very yeah. obviously advertising that it's a real possibility that like. And then they're like, but wait. You could do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Look at us. Yeah. <laughs> we could do that. This is why I'm such a pain in everyone's ass in comedy. Is because I literally, mm. like, this is the core of what draw, drew me to it, is calling out stuff like that and answering those yeah. questions, you know? But, so, actually, this gets to the core of a lot of our uh, conflict here at Why You Mad Industries, Peter. Okay. Is that, um, you know, comics are, by nature, these contrarians who are observing the world and dissecting it and uh, taking on conflict. But it turns out from observing them for the last decade plus in their personal life, the majority don't actually make choices that way. And I think that in a way it's because they already like have risked so much Mm. in the professional and financial and the like family respect arenas that finding a traditional relationship or a traditional partner is almost like a relief in the middle of that hurricane that is their life of instability and they end up nine out of ten times i want to say with a very traditional non-artist non-performance non-performer person who was initially attracted to them because they're a performer and they're flashy and they're funny and everybody likes them but then their relationship becomes one of why aren't you here on weekends? Why can't you be at my sister's wedding? Why aren't you ever helping me with the kids? Why are you always on the road? You mm-hmm. should have a job that makes it so we can get a house. You should, you know, like, when are you going yeah, to grow up and let beast. go? Yeah, yes. exactly. That's right. Yeah. And they find themselves very much then in their art, having to make the turn to commercialize and profit as much as possible in order to then maintain that family or that lifestyle that their partner wants which compromises their art, right? And I just don't see how they don't see it because they Mm. are supposed to be these contrarians, but they are not turning that critical lens on themselves or on their industry, which is why Jake has conflict with them a lot is because he does turn it on his own industry. Um, And it's strange. It's very strange to me because I think it's not... It's um, an illogical compartmentalization of just like choosing to find comfort in trying to replicate traditional forms of relationships. With yeah, wow. No, yeah, with no critical assessment of like the role models, like everything we just talked about. They're not looking back at the role models they had as parents and how the um, partners they're seeking out don't fit into the goals that they have professionally mm-hmm. and artistically and how eventually these will come at a, to a head and you are going to have to choose. Um, so part of why I like talking about this kind of stuff on this podcast is that I think artists, I mean, this is like, I'm completely guessing here, but I'm willing to bet that 
if there was some systematic way in which we could uh, like survey people, artists, I think, would more than like more more like more than likely end up in a solo bucket if they knew that that was an option. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. You yes. understand me? Like mm-hmm. not necessarily my kind of solo, but there are various kinds of solo yes. that they could embrace that would allow them to have fulfilling relationships and also to put their art and themselves first in their lives. But instead they are only seeing this path where like either I have to be alone to pursue my art and never feel loved. The lone wolf. Yeah. Or I have to compromise and marry this person who Mm -hmm. wants a very traditional thing out of me and then spend the rest of my life trying to make that compromise work. Wow. Yes, I agree. That's yeah. um, that's I've never thought of it in that kind of way. I, I always like to say the patriarchy oppresses men also. Same. Yeah. yeah. And, and so um, both uh, men and women stand to benefit um, from from diverging from it. Uh, Jake, I'm I appreciate your vulnerability around talking about your suicidal thoughts. I mean, the first thing I ever did was do jokes about it. So it's not something that I, it's literally, it's literally why I like comedies because it flips it inside out. And then it's like, <laughs> I don't, the nerve is dead. I don't feel anything when I touch it yeah. anymore. <laughs> but I think it's important for people to, to recognize that because to hear people who are on the other side of it and how it, how it actually ended up being useful for them in that way. And I'm glad you didn't do it because I'm, I'm glad that the world can hear your voice still. And yeah, so I feel I great. Think that's important. Yeah. The the thing about this idea is, and I don't, you know, I, I this comes up a lot. You were asking about resources. Um, and so mm-hmm. one of the resources, um, especially if you're a nerd, is a behavioral scientist named Bella DePaulo. And and Bella is a, a guest on my on my second episode, and she's been doing um really excellent research on single living for many, many years. She was sort of early to this. And um, she she talks about singleism, about how singles are prejudged and discriminated against and so on. And when I bring this up, it's not a big focus of me. I'm, I'm a little bit too much of a kind of positive, optimistic person, um, sort of looking at the benefits of it. But people will say, well, yeah, OK, but it's not as bad as heterosexism or racism or anti-Semitism or mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or any of the isms. And I say, be that as it, it may. Um, and I think part of it is because it's well-meaning. Mm-hmm. These are well-meaning autonom- 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 what was the word you said? Autonoms? A- automatons. Automatons. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, no, they, they think, uh, but that's almost what's worse is that they'll like pity you, right? Because they want you to have love in your life the way they picture shit. Yeah. It's be. almost like benevolent sexism. Yeah. You know, exactly. that you, that exists there. And yeah. so, so people don't even recognize that um, that this is happening mm-hmm. until you start talking about it, until you start giving it language. Mm-hmm. Um, the the language that I like um, is so a really wonderful book is is Amy Garen has a book called Stepping Off the Relationship Escalator: Uncommon Love and Life. Yeah, and in it she she not only talks about um, the relationship escalator, but she systematically goes through the ways that people deviate. Or as she would say, diverge from it. Um, and I, I, I prefer that language to deviate already. It's negative. A, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's got a connotation. Um, and so what ends up happening, and this is related to your question about the dates I go on, is 
I don't lead with the solo stuff, to be honest. I lead with the comedy stuff, if anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but it does come up quickly. And and a woman's reaction to finding out I have a podcast with this uh, that that lo- seeks to destigmatize and celebrate single living really breaks very quickly into one of two paths. The the first path is like, then why are you on the dating apps? And that's mm. that's interesting because it's a dating app, not a marriage app. Yeah. But but it but what it it mean it says everything about what her goals are. Right. That she wants an escalator relationship. She mm-hmm. wants something quote unquote real. She wants some an LTR. She mm-hmm. wants a man who's emotionally available. All yeah. coded language for for this idea. For the escalator. Yeah. That's right. Or she says, "Wow, that sounds great." Mhm. And um and and finds it a sort of a refreshing orientation. Yeah. Now what ends up happening though is on that date, actually I just the other day had a third, that critical third date. Mm-hmm. And and we got into this. And you know, what ends up happening is this is m- a much bigger discussion than just monogamy. Mm-hmm. Although monogamy may be a central element to it and it certainly is one of the defining features of a of an escalator relationship um but this is about consistency so this is about how long this should last mm-hmm. right till death do you part is the ideal <laughs> scenario mm-hmm. right you know and re- quick reminder you know half of half relationships still someone dies alone yeah um, <laughs> mathematically yeah. but um uh, this is about hierarchy. This is about how you s- treat this relationship mm-hmm. relative to your other adult adult relationships. And I'll be honest, that's that's one in which, um, yes, I'm going to prize my romantic relationships, but I'm not I'm going to I prize it the same way I prize my friendships, my friendships yeah. yeah, which have been with me and have. And frankly, I am not the person I am without, without my friendships. Them. Yep. And, yep. And it, it also um, has implications for how much we merge our lives. Mm-hmm. So, or how much we merge our identities, right? To the benefication of a relationship, as I call it. Mm-hmm. How much we merge our lifestyle, you know, like yeah. what kind of compromises you make about vacations and what you like to do on a Friday night mm-hmm. to your finances mm-hmm. and to your living situation. And, and when I'm really honest with myself and now I'm, I'm really honest, uh, with my dates, I just don't really want to live with someone. Same. Yep. I've lived alone all but two years of, of undergraduate and all but two years of my graduate training as an yeah. adult. And I just like my space and I don't, I don't want four rows of pillows on my bed. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I just, and so, and so that for some people is a complete non starter. And yeah. for some people, that's um, great. That's great. And, and also, yeah. I don't want kids. So that, yeah. you know, that also, that is an important conversation yeah. that happens early. Well, that's so interesting to me is because uh, I think a lot of people, uh, it, let's say in like more traditional forms of dating where both people have this escalator expectation, their dating ritual tends to be about like peacocking right like impressing each other Mm -hmm. in order to try to ascertain that this will be the mate that i lock down right yes 
And then they hide like, away all the bad. They things. hide away all the bad things, right? And then they like little by little learn mm-hmm. or reveal the bad things about each other. And then that's, in my opinion, why they retrospectively consider these relationships failures or waste of time mm. because they feel lied to or you know like they signed up for something different than what they actually got. Whereas I have had a lot of people who will ask me about my dating style and they'll be like, oh, so do you just uh, interrogate men immediately about whether they want children or not, whether they want to get married? And I'm like, I don't. But it actually comes up fairly quickly when you put together like my age and the fact that I haven't been married before. Right. Mm -hmm. So like in the normal conversation, it comes up and it's like, no, I'm not divorced. Uh, I've never been married. Why have I never been married? Because I never wanted to get married. I don't actually want to ever get married. I don't want to have children. And the conversation comes very naturally. And most of the time, um, I do a pretty good job of avoiding people who want a more traditional thing just based on their profiles, you know, so I don't even get to the point of a date with someone like that. But this brings me to the next question for you, which is, it has happened to me often that, um, I guess I'm like refreshing to men who have been confronted with you're exciting for someone who's unconventional. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then what will suddenly happen is that they're like, wow, you're the one for me. We should get married. (laughs) And then I'm like, were you like not listening at all? Exactly. You want to get married because I I didn't want to get married. What the fuck? Exactly. Exactly. Like you're, you're my fucking soulmate. You're the one. And I'm like, ah, we were so close, but you really (sighs) fucked it up. Um, But I asked this because Man, I love your podcast so much. And it's so funny to me because I listen to it and then I crack up because I think I'm like, isn't this a little bit like having a church for atheists? Right. Oh, that's interesting. Right. So hear me out because it's not a bad thing. Right. Because I do think that there is like it doesn't mean that the atheists have to be preached at but it does mean that there could be some community amongst atheists yes. right and that there yes. could be some support in your atheism and such mm-hmm. and so it has been very interesting to me to think about um your how to say it so like on this podcast i've talked to jake about this before um i have a personal conflict in the fact that i think peter that i've been very good at being an individual uh, my whole life, I would say since I was like around 15 or 14, I was working on being a good individual. But now as I get older and I am confident and comfortable in my soloness and in my individualness and my identity, I actually feel guilt that I am not more involved in my community and that I am not doing uh-huh. more to help others because I was so focused inward and in my position and my situation. And so listening to solo, it brings back these ideas to me of like, how do we balance this idea of my focus is myself and my self development, but there myself also belongs to a community and a greater thing. And how do I participate in that? So I guess the question is just like, how do you see your role and your responsibility towards other humans and towards a community of solo people, even though your path is solo? Yes. Wow. How does everybody else fit into your solo thing? (laughs) (laughs) This was a, to be honest, this was unanticipated. Yeah. Um, thing. Well, first of all, I do think that you're contributing, both of you, by having these conversations alone is contributing because this, this podcast may be the only place Mm -hmm. that someone can get a different perspective than they would 
anywhere else in their own um, familial lives yeah. or friendships, the media they consume, and so on. Definitely. Um, I also am going to have the two of you on my podcast. So I would love to. Yeah. Gonna, Anytime. Yeah. That would be really fun. The and I can then I get to ask you some questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I did not anticipate this. To be honest, like the, so, Solo originally was going to be a book about thriving as a bachelor. Mm -hmm. um, that's really how it started off. And thankfully I pivoted it into a podcast. Podcasts are faster than books. Mm -hmm. um, and also that I, I made it for both spinsters and bachelors. Yeah. Um, and, Thank and I think you. That, that's important. <laughs> no, no, I do. I think that that's, that's incredibly important. Um, but I did realize that, that people want to be able to talk about these things. And so I am, I'm starting um, really a lot of, of ideas around community. So I have a, I have a private Slack channel um, that people, if they go to petermcgraworg slash solo, they can apply to be part of this. Um, it's a small group, but, it, but, a, and a, and a small portion of those people are incredibly active and thoughtful. Um, I have some, um, I have some clubs, some communities on uh, clubhouse around these topics, especially solo travel, which also mm -hmm. happens to be something yes. that, that singles do do a lot. And there's a lot of, uh, of personal growth mm -hmm. uh, that comes from that. Um, and, and so I really have been surprised how I've, my life, which was very achievement focused, you know, kind of climbing the academic ladder or sitting at the pinnacle of the pyramid, so to speak. I always joke that academia is a huge pyramid scheme. <laughs> Um, or even athletic achievement. Like these were things that I did, as I alluded to earlier, in order to be um, a more appealing mm -hmm. person, a more interesting person, a more developed individual. And that I have in now in my 50s, I'm starting to pursue meaning in a way that now I'm not just doing something for myself, but I'm doing something for the community. And what's interesting is that's actually a very solo thing to do. Right. So yeah. Bella DePaulo talks about mm -hmm. this a lot. Singles are described and thought of as being selfish individuals. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and because they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're just, they're not, We're not contributing to the machine by having right. more little voters and taxpayers. And, but, yeah. but solos are, um, they give more of their time. They give more of their money. They're more involved in their communities. Mm -hmm. And that actually makes sense, right? Because when you're trying to raise a family, we have time. Yeah, it is. It takes everything mm -hmm. you have. It's incredibly yeah. difficult, and it's expensive, and it's this is why there are, capitalism there are doesn't. Also, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say. I mean, capitalism doesn't want you to have like the autonomy and freedom that you have when you are exactly when you're solo. There's you this, can opt out of a lot of things. Yeah. if there's, you want. There's yeah. this term for uh, is it gay rich? Like gay people mm -hmm. used to just have more money as adults than other people their age because they yeah. didn't get married and get fucking subjugated back into being part of like the surplus population Dude. of workers and shit like that. And fucking you know your boss doesn't want it. I mean the machine doesn't want it. It runs on it's, precarity. It's inappropriate now, but I used to. When I was like a teenager and in my early 20s, I used to say that I wanted to grow up to live a life like an old gay man. <laughs> like that was think. my like framework. Like that was the closest thing that I could get to where I was like, they like art. They have nice apartments. They travel the world and have young lovers. That seems like what I need. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like, cool. Yeah, I'm like that seems great. Um, what was I going to tell you though about that? Uh, <laughs> fuck, I forgot. Did I don't I know. Were you going to say something else, Peter? Because if not, I have another question for you. Tonight. Oh, the only bad thing is I'm going to yeah. start rolling out some events. That's 
That's one of the things I want to do. I think I'm going to join. I think I'm going to become one of your active solo members. Let's do it. Because here's a question for you. Okay. Uh, A lot of the people who are traditional, or let's say because of a lack of knowing that there are other options, only have traditional narratives and frameworks in their head as possibilities, they tend to think of the trajectory of their life as being like, I don't want to die alone, right? So Mm -hmm. the goal is to find this person you grow old with and you die together, right? That's what they tell themselves. I've never had that as the picture in my head uh, that I wanted. Like, I never pictured who is the one person I'll be old with. But I do have a retirement idea in my head. Mm. Oh, uh, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Okay. So I think Jake has heard it because I've invited him. Oh, yeah, about it, yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> Peter, you're also officially invited. Here's here's the deal. My Since I was probably like, man, early teens, I want to say, I saw the show Golden Girls, right? (laughs) And what I loved about this, you know, remember that I already told you that I came from a world of a lot of young widows, right? Right. What I loved about this was that it was a house of like old widows and like one of them's like a spinster and, you know, like another one is slutty and like whatever. But this put into my mind the idea very early on that my ideal retirement would be this kind of like friend's house that I would have, uh, right now I pictured in New Orleans. That's where I think I would like to retire. I would buy a house and I genuinely like don't want to own property. I don't want to have anything to do with the traditional lifestyle. Yeah. (laughs) But I would buy a property with multiple bedrooms, like let's say seven bedrooms in order to create a space for older adults that are friends of mine Mm -hmm. where they could come. It doesn't have to be when you're, if you're solo like me only, But also when you become widowed or when you go through a divorce or in between relationships or when you have a new relationship and you're not cohabitating with that person. I picture my end of life uh, as a place where I would be surrounded by a bunch of people who have strong relationship ties with me and perhaps with others and they never have to feel like they have to die alone because I would be there for them mm-hmm. in that way. And I've always, and it's just always stuck there. And I have friendships where uh, for the last 20 years, whenever I really love a person, I always tell them, I'm like, man, if you're ever like old and alone, like know that you can reach out to me and you can come live in my fucking retirement house for old weird singles. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> so. What do you think about that? Do you want to live in my old retirement singles home? And what is your picture of the end of life for a solo yeah wow okay so i think that's delightful Uh, (laughs) i actually um taped an episode uh, about the golden girls Mm -hmm. and i have i'm I'm planning uh an episode about co-living shared living Mm -hmm. um, because this is a real thing that's starting to happen yeah Um, you know just demographically it's necessary Mm -hmm. um and, and also just the changing state of the world in terms of fewer people are getting married um, yeah. and, and so on. I, um, I think it's a really wonderful idea. Um, and I, I know people who are planning it. I know people who are kind of, uh, looking to do it in various ways. I'm, I'm yeah. there. I, I don't have a plan for myself yet. Um, I have been fortunate in that I have done a good job saving for my retirement. And so, um, I might be able to solve a few problems with some ducats. We'll see. Yeah. And maybe um, just I, keep living the bachelor lifestyle may, all the way maybe. through. I, yeah. I would say this. 
if you had it, if you did it condo style, where yeah. I could have my own, your place, own apartment. I, Ooh, I like that. We I would get be like a, a little more into yeah. it. Like high rise building, we're all in the same building. Separate apartments, but like shared common spaces. And there's a cafe, you know, like a the, yeah, yeah, in and a the, pool. That's yeah. right. That'd yeah, be cool. that's okay. the kind of thing that would okay. turn me on. I'm absolutely taking suggestions for retirement, <laughs> and then I'll take applications later on too. We'll I, I think there's a. I, I will say this: the one conversation I have truly mm-hmm. had, um, Jake will get a kick out of this, is I have a friend, and we have a pact um, that if one of us is terminal. Um, we're going to euthanize the other person. So, awesome. So we're going to, oh, and yeah. we're not going to do it. Oh, we're going to do it in, in style. So we're going to go to the Switzerland. Yes. Yeah. You know, I love and, this. This is actually part of yeah. my plan. I don't have this person yet. I have uh, my, my yeah. her name is Janet. Janet yeah. is going to euthanize me when I'm terminal. That's very, yes. I, that's part of my plan. Um, also to ensure like I don't want, uh, I would prefer that a friend who knows my real intentions and per- per- preferences have power of attorney over mm-hmm. me than a family member who is perhaps Catholic or, you know, some other thing that is not going to be like match up with what I actually yes. wanted. Um, and it's really funny to me because I think traditional people oftentimes think of singles as people who like fail to achieve what they have, but they don't see that we're like actively planning how to continue to be single. <laughs> like, right. like, no, uh, I will like, how could I live when I can't lift up my groceries anymore? Well, I got to live with my other single ladies, <laughs> you know, yes, like we'll help know. each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is something- I got to save money. For the purposes of taking care of myself because I'm not having children to come and take care of me and whatever the hell, right? So it's not a uh, something we're entering into with no thought and with no planning. Yeah. Well, I think that like the, the, the bit of having a friend who you're like, okay, one of us is going to euthanize the other one or whatever is very funny. And like, it's kind of where my brain goes with this sort of stuff too, because like the question of what you're going to do at the end of your life is uh unanswerable so it's Mm -hmm. absurd and like yeah you might as well just come up with something like that because what's confusing about all this i think is that um at the end of this is an unanswerable like ultimately unanswerable reality which is death and so we're dealing with two different ways of coping with it and the 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 original the classic way the cope cope is (laughs) to think of things not as a process that you're constantly engaged in it's to think about things with this like end of the goal line thing like finish line and go like okay uh, a successful relationship is if i make it really long time or whatever but what we're describing is more of like a like it's staring death further in the face and go or <laughs> straighter in the face or whatever whereas everyone's yeah. afraid to look at it and going like i we're both gonna get killed by this thing either way yeah. so i've decided to actually try to live in the moment and you know what's important about relationships to me is what like what's happening while they're happening and not in the moment this yeah. this like uh you know what do you call judeo-christian time thing you always bring up yeah. where it's like about the f- this thing in the, the, in the future <laughs> and, you know it's just you see yeah, it right, everywhere you're with the distant future in the distant past and it it it, uh evacuates the meaning of any uh i'm sorry the present of any meaning yeah i see i see i think about it all the time when i talk to people about stuff like this because it's like absurd but it's really hard the human brain kind of seems like it's maybe set up to not really 
get over this hump and think about things this way. And so it needs to make sense of things because it needs to make sense of things that use a certain language. That language comes from customs that we have and stuff like that, but you can change them. And so like, I, I was talking to a comic friend of mine about this a while back and I, I had moved to New York and then I had come back and I think I was a little bit more openly freaky and weird than uh, these people in Texas remembered me or whatever. So like I was having like lunch with a friend of mine and he was like, Oh, you moved to Brooklyn. Uh, you're not one of those like polyamorous people or whatever. <laughs> I, I, and I was like, yeah, actually Rude. I am. And then it got kind of awkward. But then I remember thinking this guy had just gotten divorced and he was all yeah. bummed out about it. And I was like, what? Why are you arguing on behalf of this system that did not work for you by your own rules? Because yeah. if I were to be divorced, I wouldn't be sad about it. I'd be like, well, that happened. That was the end of a relationship. That's And I'd be process. like, let's try something else, but right? This- not like, let's get back in the game and do the same thing again. <laughs> I was like, you're hitting your head against a wall. Like, it doesn't yeah. work. But it's because you're, you know, the success to this person is a, yeah, we made it all the way to the grave together or whatever. Okay, but to be fair, because, all right. Uh, Peter, I don't know how much you pay attention to my tweets, but I do like to make fun of the trads. It's a, it's a fun little trope for me, but <laughs> I honestly do respect it. I do believe that um, there are people who genuinely want to be parents and will be good parents. I do believe yes. that there are people mm-hmm. who are better off and happy in relationships that are monogamous and long term and all of that stuff. I am 100% not trying to convince people who want that to not want that. I don't think I'm not trying to ridicule you for wanting that. If anything, I like to bring attention to the fact that more often than not, you guys are ridiculing us for not wanting what you have. Right. Yes. And that's not fair because I can be supportive. I'm uh, I'll go to the baby showers. I can be the fun aunt. You guys can be the fun uncles that bring knowledge and like fun things and bachelor ideas to the children like (laughs) if you believe in this idea of um it takes a village to raise children Mm -hmm. that includes those of us who are not the child bearers but are also adult role models for a different way that your children can see the world and live Mm -hmm. life so i'm not opposed in any way to what they do i more than anything would like to say like consider treating your single friends nicely. (laughs) They might be very happy with the way that they're doing things. I would add a slight addendum to your perspective. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I would say I'm not interested in convincing anyone who wants it and is good at it to do anything besides that. I want to, as I say, I just think it's overprescribed. So I just want people to know that there are, there's an alternative Mm -hmm. that is fulfilling and that might work better. And and all it is is just to say, hey, it's here. Yeah, because yeah, sometimes you see someone and, and like, well, for me, I'll look at someone and go, the reason I'm empathizing with you and the reason I feel like I should talk to you about this is I'm watching you make yourself miserable mm-hmm. in a way that I used to make myself miserable. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. I have a way for you to feel better about it. But that's it. It's not, you know. No, yeah. This isn't dogmatic or it's, anything like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It's like just an offer, you know. It's like when you ask somebody if they want some weed. It's like if you don't want it, it's fine, man. It's not. <laughs> I'm right. Nobody's trying to force you to smoke. <laughs> you know, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, you know, to Jake's point about mm-hmm. um, impermanence. You know, so so Erwin Yalom talks about these existential threats, and uh, and to Jake's point about like we we have to grapple with death. Who knows, you know, what it's going to be like. For some people, that is at the forefront, at least on occasion. And it does, it may shape some of their decisions for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, he talks about these other existential threats that I don't think anyone ever considers. And one of them is this notion that um, fundamentally, 
we, you, are an individual. And yet you live within a world where you are connected to others. Mm -hmm. And so how do you grapple with your individualism versus your connection in the world? And I don't think most people have a plan for that in yeah. any way. They just follow the norms. Yeah. And, and the other one is, is um, a responsibility. Um, you might even call it a burden. And that is of, of freedom. That in, at least in some way, you have choice in the world. Yeah. To, to live a life that you, um, that, you know, that in some way should allow you to flourish or help you to flourish in that sense. And I, I think that one of the things that I, that I want to do with solo, and I think that conversations like this are important to do, is just to provide people an alternative language, an alternative perspective to allow them to think a little bit about the choices that they can make and how do they think of themselves as an individual that exists within, you know, a network, within a community, within yeah. family, within um, society. I love this. I just realized that we're probably out of time soon. And I know you have to go to Peter, but you said you were working on a taxonomy of singles. Yes. Do we have time? Can you share it with us? Can we hear it? So this is the first I'm talking about it in public. So okay. I think do, I'm, I'm happy to do This is what do I do it. here all the time. I've come up with taxonomies <laughs> on here. And I'm like, Jake, let's just make science on the air right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would love to. Um, you know, I think it would be actually helpful in, in dating scenarios in particular. But I, I find myself using it as I describe people to my friends. I'm saying, mm -hmm. oh, well. Uh, Luisa's a type four. Okay. You know, and so and so is a type two. I don't. They don't have names yet. They don't have labels. And maybe you can help me with that. If, okay. if that's okay. Or yeah, listeners, please. if you have ideas for what the label should be, please reach out to me. There you go. Okay. So so there's sort of two um, two elements that break these these into these four types of singles. One is whether they're a single or they're solo. And okay. I I talked about that earlier. And that is. An orientation towards completeness and autonomy makes one a solo, mm -hmm. right? Versus just being a single, I am unattached in that right. way. And the second one is uh, goals related to the relationship escalator. Okay. Okay. So a type one, I would, for lack of a better term, I would call them a conventional single. Okay. Right. They don't have a solo orientation and they want to ride the relationship escalator. And we know these people. That's that makes up the majority of. So this would be like even like an incel, right? Yeah. Cause uh, yes. Their goal yes, is. It would. Yeah. To yeah. get on that escalator. It would. Because they want to be on the escalator. That's they exactly just can't right. get on it. That's right. right. Yes. Okay. And so we know those people. These are people who say looking for an LTR. Yeah. You know, or like that, there's just no more good men left out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mm -hmm. want my partner in crime. You know, mm -hmm. these kinds of things. My other that, half. Mm -hmm. Yes. My better half and so mm -hmm. on. And so a type two, type three and type four are solo in orientation. And then it just depends on their, their desires and beliefs about the relationship escalator. Type twos still want to ride it. Right. But mm -hmm. they're, you know, so while type ones might be a hopeless romantic, type twos are a hopeful romantic. I would like to do this, but life's okay if it doesn't happen. Okay. I see. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I think a lot of folks, you know, are kind of, they, you know, they have a little bit of a healthy skepticism. They like their lives. They're fulfilling and rich. They're not waiting around, but. 
I think this is where like maybe like the traditional cat lady would fall, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, like, maybe she's she open to romance, but yeah, she sure. it's fine with her life with all her cats and That's things right. are great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and maybe like a Sex in the City character, right? Yeah. Like, uh, this is what I was uh, thinking. Like freeze- uh, Carrie, right? Carrie yeah. has that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. A type three is what Bella DePaulo would call like a single at heart, right? So these are basically loners or people who are, um, they're just happy with their lives and they're not interested in a relationship. Right. Um, and, and this may be forever or for now. It's not a thing. And, and just as, just to, to give people a little bit of data, um, I like to cite this. This is a Pew Center study. Um, so first of all, there's a, there's a shit ton of single people in the United States, 128 yeah. million, almost half of American adults are single. Of those uh, single American adults, half of them are not interested in dating or a relationship. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Now, th- this includes 18-year-olds who are going off to college and 88-year-olds who are with recent yeah. and everything in yeah. between. Yeah. Of the half that are, are about evenly split between casual dating, a serious relationship, or either. Okay. Right? So it is 100% normal to be a type three. Yeah. To not be looking for this. Yeah. And not wanting it. Whether, it, again, as I say, for now or forever. And then type four, which I feel like, I think, Jake, you're a three. Are you a three? I think Jake's a three. I don't know. I, Single at heart? Let's go through them all and then okay, I'll try let's to get Okay, let's go. Let's four. Okay, okay. And a type four uh, would, would also welcome a relationship but they would diverge in some real way from a traditional escalator relationship. So, for example, maybe they are, um, they're not interested in monogamy. Maybe they, um, maybe they're interested in having multiple romantic partners. So they're, they're polyamorous. Maybe they're not interested in living together. So these kind of living apart together mm-hmm. relationships. Yeah. Maybe they're just not going to make that relationship the most important adult-adult relationship in their lives. And now, so type fours are, you know, it's basically an infinite set of options. Yeah, That's right. Um, I would say, Louisa, you're clearly a type four. There's no doubt um, in my mind. I'm a type four. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure, you know, where I am. Like, you know, it's like... I, you know, I could do monogamy. I'm not sure I want to do it forever. You know, I like this yeah. Dan Savage term monogamish. I have yeah, a I have a same. friend. He yeah. says he's 90% monogamous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want to merge. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to shuck my friends because I have a new relationship. That's and the main so, thing for me. It's yeah. um, I agree. I'm a four. Um, and for me, it is about keeping doors open to connecting with any humans that Mm -hmm. cross into your path and into your life and you have some kind of connection with except that that connection will never be based around cohabitating sharing our finances having children together um but it could be all kinds of other configurations you know like i am open to uh monogamous regular lover as well as like a person that lives in another city that i see twice a year Mm -hmm. and uh you know like uh once once in a lifetime, like we met up and we had a great conversation and it was a one night thing. Yes. 
to me, the whole point is the actually to go back to, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, Jake, but there's a Bill Burr joke somebody brought up to me who's like, a I like that you bring up these jokes to illustrate points. I right. connect. I, this is what we do here. Comedy. Why are you mad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Bill Burr had a joke and it was before because you guys remember that Bill Burr used to be like a bachelor comic. Yeah, you guys yeah. remember that? Yeah, and then yeah. he got married and then he became a married guy comic. But right. he was a bachelor guy comic for a long time who didn't believe in marriage who didn't believe in like monogamy like all this stuff so he had a joke where he would say um i'm terrible at paraphrasing jokes so don't judge him on my skills here but something to the effect of uh isn't it weird that falling in love with somebody is like oh you experience this amazing shocking wonderful connection that's just beautiful and wonderful so you're just like wow this is so great. You know what we should do? We should get married and make sure this never happens again. <laughs> no, no. Lisa, I brought that up. It's a Doug Stanhope. You brought it up. Is it Doug Stanhope? Okay, yeah. okay. That, okay, okay. That's why okay. I keep bringing him Doug up. Stanhope. Same category. Same, Same category, though. Yeah. But yeah. Doug Stanhope stayed true to his thing. But That's Bill Burr saying. did used to be. He did used no, to be. No, I know. I was just watching an old Bill Burr special the other yeah. day, and he had a, it's oddly enough, a uh, really similar topic joke. <laughs> Made yeah. me laugh a lot. I don't know if this is related, but he was like, um, he was talking about how, like, when you're. The way he was describing it is, you know, when you're, you know, you're single for too long because there's this voice in your head that, uh, you know, sometimes it's like normally it's like, um, hey, don't do that. And then if you're single for too long, it's like, eh, fuck it. See what happens. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, but also, don't you wish you had that freedom? That great. the voice in your head was encouraging so, you to say, fuck it. Give jokes, it a shot. What do you got to lose? You got you got money in the bank. Right. <laughs> You'll be fine. Jokes frame things in certain ways. Yeah. And, like, that's a funny framing of that, of something in kind of a negative way, just because we're making jokes about it. But I think well, yeah. that's actually a very positive voice. Yeah. Like, See what happens. You know what I mean? That's curiosity. It's like interest or whatever. Um, yeah. I think I'm a, I think I'm a type four too. I, I, I do like romance, man. I fucking no, love type it. four can accommodate romance. And yeah. it also, if I may, just one thing, Jake, before you get back to it is it also can accommodate asexuality. Exactly. Yes. It can accommodate aromanticism. So I'll mm-hmm. give you an example of this. I, I dated a woman, um, for a while, um, part, you know, through much of the, the pandemic and we, we both decided we're better off as friends. Yeah, we've been able to keep some of the affection and intimacy in that relationship. Like, like we hold hands still. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I adore this woman, you know, yeah. and like she's a she's a wonderful friend. And the fact that like we can sleep in the same bed. Yeah. Still, and we can still cuddle and hold each other, um, and that we didn't have to give that up. Mm-hmm. Because we're not on the on the escalator anymore. Yeah. Well, so I and, wanted to break before I, I I could talk about this too much. I have to cut myself please, off. No, no, no. But there's one point that I wanted to bring up that's really kind of resonating with me a lot. I've been thinking about it a lot in regards to all of this, uh, which is interesting because I think um, I don't want to make any presumptions about everyone's sexuality here or whatever. But I think we're on the straighter side of things, and like. I like hanging out with queer people because they don't struggle with this sort of stuff. The paradigm never existed yeah. to begin They're with. They're at the forefront yeah, of totally. solo living. Yeah, right. that's true. And so I, I, I identify a lot with places they've already gotten to just by right. nature of circumstance. So like I always read like a uh, certain Twitter accounts will say stuff like, Oh, it's, they'll make fun of straight people for having like, for not liking your exes and stuff like that. And as mm-hmm. I've grown yeah. and thought about this sort of stuff and applied it to my life, 
life, I have like exes that I sleep in the same bed with and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like either is romantic or isn't, depending on where we're at. My emergency like contact is an ex. Yeah. And, like they're just uh, uh, people that the relationship changed. They didn't exit my life. That's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think only people who exist on the escalator force every relationship to be either in or out because mm-hmm. either you're on this escalator or you're not and therefore you're out and I hate you or you hate me and we don't talk and we don't do anything mm-hmm. but when you exist outside of that there is room for this relationship was one thing and then it grew into something different and we can still continue the intimacy that we had before yes. and it continues to grow but in a different direction and I think that's something that maybe traditional people are cheating themselves of yeah you know It's easy to, it's sort of easy to make fun of the poly stuff. And I, I, I I regret, I regret that that's the case. Um, I I think we need better language, but, um, I, I learned this word compersion. Have you heard heard of this? This, When I learned this idea of anti jealousy, it like, it blew my mind because it had never come up before. The idea that you would be happy. That somebody else is happy. Yeah. That someone else is happy that you're not yeah. threatened by that. And, and, you know, it's, it's now I'm at the point, like, if I, if I end up dating someone and she's like, I don't like that you hold hands with your ex still. I would break up with them. I would just say, then I guess you're not for me. I would yeah. just say, well, I mean, I'm not going to stop doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it brings me joy. And yeah. why would you not be happy that I'm happy? Yep. Yeah. In, in this way. And it doesn't in any way diminish you. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, there's, there's so I agree. Queer theory is, I need to do more reading and learning about yeah. it because I think there's some really provocative ideas, I important d- ideas. There. I don't think it's a coincidence that all this stuff kind of seems related to me because like, you know, capitalism does not like queer people because it, they don't reproduce and make more workers yeah. to supply the, the pool of fucking, uh, what do you call it? Um, precarious, uh, you know, surplus workers or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so because I, a lot, honestly, I got really pilled on this just talking to a gay waiter from a comedy club one night about like the material that people were doing. And he just blew my mind casually. Like he was like, yeah. he thinks about this shit all the time. Um, way, way, way back when I was young, but it's, it doesn't, it's so for that reason, when people, when people make fun of, uh, like poly stuff as a punchline, I honestly, I get into a place where I kind of think, that they're expressing a deep, deeply like indoctrinated sort of fear of deviation <laughs> that comes yeah. from. You could call it bigoted if bigoted. you if you wanted to. I would call it ignorant, but yeah. you could. Well, I think honestly, the reason it gets the reason it's become such a punchline right now in like comedy in Brooklyn and podcasting and online culture and stuff like that is. Um, I thought about this the other day. Here's a good way to confront someone about it. Would you make fun of a gay person for telling you they were polyamorous? Answer is probably going to be no, yeah. right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But would you make fun of a specifically straight person? The answer is hell yes. And you go, yeah. why? Why is that? And uh. I think it's coming from, uh, th- there's something happened there. There's, the stigma has been erased for queer people. Like now we kind of have this place in capitalism with them where we go, oh, you can be a fucking pilot too and bomb yeah. another country. Okay. Whatever. As long as you're still kind of contributing on some level or whatever. But there's like a weird thing where they, uh, read people who are mostly straight li- living queer lifestyles as like, um, what do you call that? Like false, uh, oh, uh, stealing, stealing valor, valor or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. As like stealing Wait, valor. Yeah. Like, um, there, I-, I would say I've seen it as a joke and also as like an interpersonal exchange 
that or like appropriation if, or something yeah like that. if you are a straight or mostly straight person who lives a queerish lifestyle the traditional straight people will frame that as you trying to steal valor oh from goodness. actual so queer people. here's what i think they're getting wrong right they got it backwards yeah. it's not that mm -hmm. we need to only let queer people live like queer people it's actually all people all should people. be free yeah. to interpret the thing without the fucking paradigm controlling exactly. them because it works in its own interests at our expense it exploits us and like you look at you can see people living outside of it and having a great fucking time. Why would you not look at that and go, I'm just going to take the fucking plunge and do that as well, you know? Well, I've been trying to kind of like discreetly talk to people about how I think that <clears throat> our relationships and our identities and all this stuff is like composed of actually three different things. So I think that it is actually like we and the way that we exist in space with other humans is composed of a identity component right how you see yourself in the world an orientation component of how what you are sexually attracted to and then also a relationship format component mm, i see they're and not they may they're, be not overlapping they don't overlap there can be different things because there are gay traditional people yeah. who want to be married and adopt children and live a traditional life there are totally straight people who want to live a crazy commune with five partners each kind of life so these three components it's like um like a chess game or you know a die where you could have all these different configurations mm -hmm. and i think we should we would benefit from um acknowledging that the three are separate and connected but not equivalent i see who who you see yourself as who you are sexually attracted to and what shape a relationship needs to take in order to fulfill your life mm -hmm. are three components that determine how you interact with the world and with other people around you i see yeah the, if i may the, i want to point out one last um yeah. resource and then if i can i know we're going to bring it to close i want to ask you a question if okay that's okay go for it totally um so i want to point out um, again another badly named idea and i'm sure it has come up um is this idea of relationship anarchy mm -hmm. and and essentially the the idea behind relationship anarchy is um and this is a there was a manifesto an essay written by andy norgan in 2006 there's a bunch of good stuff on youtube about it i'm a fan I, yeah i think you know this idea that you get to co-create your relationships um in your life you know and not just sexual but also among friendships family and so on and i like i like that idea which is you get to give up the rules and you get to decide on on those um they're there my, my question for you and i i haven't got my head completely around how to do this but yeah. i do think that idea that you get to decide the two two or more people get to decide i think is is powerful um, my question for you is i still feel new to this game you know the saying is in the in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king you know mm -hmm. i feel like a one-eyed man at this yeah, moment. same, same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think I should be doing with solo moving forward? Right. Like what what is it that contributes Ooh. to the most good? Do you think? No, I think you're doing it already, Peter. You're doing it already because you are not OK. Like anthropologically. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the main thing that I would usually have as a critique to all the other social sciences is that they tend to be 
um, unidirectional in their approach, right? Where they will either be top down or bottom up and have a very authoritative point of view in one of those directions. But Solo doesn't do that. You didn't come at it from like a purely like here's statistics about about single people and here's what I think single people and solo people should be. You have blown up the paradigm and with each episode you complicate the definition of a solo. <laughs> it's more, so much more complicated than But that's what it should be because yeah. I don't think I don't think that the like the problem with traditional forms of knowledge is that they were authoritative and they were very much about like determine what is true and what is fact and then like push that on people. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're entering an era and maybe have entered an era a little while ago where the most effective learning is not authoritative. It is a like multiplicity of voices that provide you with both an idea and its counter at the same time and uh, something that's conflicting with it and partially part of it, you know, that kind of thing. And I think you're already doing that with Solo. So I wouldn't, I don't know that I would say that you have to take it in a different direction. I think that um, complicating anybody's, so anybody that clicks on your podcast to listen to it is coming to it with an idea of what they thought they solo or single means Mm -hmm. and if all you can do is complicate that in their mind by adding layers and adding things that they need to consider that they had not considered before that's great you're expanding their horizon and possibly giving people who didn't even have an idea more and more to think about on that i i think it's great i love it thank you yeah i recommend to everybody to listen to um I great conversation. I don't know. I think we could wrap it up here, probably, right? Yeah. If only, not, I can keep talking to Peter for hours. <laughs> the only thing I want to say about that, I know you asked that to Lisa, not me, but I just it's funny because I think it, the problem is your our brains tend to ask us things linearly, and so this is goal oriented, and it's hard to look at it and go. The point is what you're doing right now. It's like an end in itself. Yeah. So, you know, I understand that though because you're constantly you're 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 going to just constantly oh, do that. That's interesting. Yourself. So you're saying the, the, it's the wrong question. Kind of. That's mm-hmm. what I'm doing is re- yeah. reframing the yeah. reframing I, the question because I'm thinking about when I started doing comedy and I could not get my head out of like this question of like when you become a professional comedian, when you're really a comedian is like, do you make a certain amount of money or, you know? Uh, And then I was just, but I also had the punk shit going on in my head. And I was like, well, I don't give a fuck about money. It's about the quality of the thing. Right. Oh, is it, I'm good enough. I get enough laughs. And then I just went on tour one time and I remember getting back and I was like, the point was that journey. It's like Lord of the Rings. Like that's it. Like, um, but you know, I mean, sometimes it came back around to us. Like Peter, you and I met in the most serendipity, like crazy way, right? Because it was yeah. just like you and I both separately in different parts of the country had our own academic interest in comedy. And through the internet, we found each other. And then we happened to also identify that we have this other interest. Mm-hmm. And then for years later, somebody who is in my circuit through like leftist comedy and whatever to bring you up as an inspiration for his path to discovering a solo lifestyle. That to me says you're doing a great thing already, you know, like it's already out there. Um, 
bringing ideas to a lot of people. And I, I think you must be reaching a lot of people because in the short or the few episodes that we've done talking about this stuff, I've gotten a really good response. I've gotten, you know, even for my birthday, I had women who wrote to me just being like, you know, like, I hope you don't think this is weird, but you make me feel really good about aging. Oh, that's <laughs> like, great. Yeah, because uh, because of the thing that you were talking about, about being a late bloomer and being like, life has only gotten better for me the older I get and the more secure I am and who I am and what I want to be and what I can offer others. Um, so I think we're already doing it, not to toot our own horns, but we're killing it. No, I mean, it's a <laughs> difficult thing to say flat out a lot of the times because it's, it might sound like self-aggrandizing or whatever. But like, yeah. to, to go back to something you mentioned earlier about like the idea of a secular church, I mean, you know, we I think on some level, something going on inside of us is driven by wanting to create a greater good for other people because like, totally. um, and, and what we need to do is, you know, within the case of a church, I think is cut off all the vestigial stuff that's actually ill-functioning at this point. Point and then get the community back from it, which is the thing that we thrive from and stuff like that. But also, like, the, I think part of the reason that I arrived at a lot of these conclusions and that I'm, you know, solo or type four or whatever the fuck I'm trying to figure out I am right now is that <laughs> um, I uh, I get that that thing that your soul like yearns for. I get it out of doing comedy and yeah. making podcasts and stuff like that. And that's why I think for a lot of other people, they don't have something like that and so you know we're, there's point. different types of people and some people yeah. i believe them when they say i never felt my heart full until i had a kid or whatever yeah and i go that's great because that's i mean i can understand that thing gave your life meaning but for yeah. me i think making stuff I found meaning elsewhere yeah and, and this also is like that to go back to the goal-oriented stuff or whatever but like i feel good when someone emails me and says holy shit the thing that you said fucking helped me because i think about a younger yeah. version of myself Same. who was unhappy and i'm like well, this is a system it all fucking folds back in on itself and it helps other people and stuff i like that, can't so. imagine listen if i when i was 15 i had a podcast like solo dude my life would have been totally different. Like yeah, I would not wild. have been sad. I would not have felt weird and like there wasn't a place for me in the world. It's awesome. I think it's um, really great. And I love that I like, um, I listened to your episode uh, uh, with the Pew research person yes. uh -huh. and hearing like the increasing data of just like how, you know, it's pretty normal because um, the fact that the like, as society in this country got more liberal and there were more possibilities for people to, for women to be mm -hmm. financially independent and all these things, then being single became, became an option. And so you get to see through statistics the way that these changes came about. But then it's just amazing to think that I, I talk to Jake about this all the time that like I was also a socialist when I was like a teen. You know, I registered when I turned 18, I registered as a socialist as a, my first voting card and all of that. And I felt so alone also then as a socialist in Florida where like all the Cubans hate you if you <laughs> like Castro and whatever. And I have gotten in a to a point in my life that now at 40 years old, I see leftists all around me talking yes. about leftism and talking about socialism and talking about all these things that like were like hush hush when I was like 15 and solo and other forms of relationships and other forms of being. I also see that trajectory yeah. where it was like, you were a fucking weirdo 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And now I say this thing that used to make me, 
an outcast and multiple people respond like, yeah, no, wow, I'm glad that yeah. you said that and that I found you. So uh, it gives me hope as much as I'm a black pilled little narcissist, uh, selfish, angry, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to call. I am super hopeful. <laughs> I don't think it naturally feels comfortable to be on the forefront of something like this, to be on the yeah. front lines and like pioneering stuff. You're always going to have to deal with the fact that it feels insane a little bit. Yeah. And there's all this social stigma and stuff. But like you you could feel it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's there, there's it's momentum's building. It was it was scary at first, and yeah. now it feels much more comfortable. I so Jake, I did want you to answer that question and and the putting your answers together, I wrote down goalless complexity. <laughs> and and I think that there's something to that idea, and it you've given me a real gift in terms of um, yeah. embracing the messiness of the process yeah. and then not doing what I normally do, which is I want to have X done by Y date. And this yeah. is what it's going to look like and instead be open to the possibility. So thank yeah. you exactly. both for that. Cool. Yeah. I love it. That's this awesome. is a wonderful conversation. I, I have never not enjoyed talking to you, Peter. Oh, love this. Kind. We should do it more often. We have a great time. Please come back anytime. Um, is there anything that you want to plug besides solo? The Single Person's Guide to a Remarkable Life. Did I get it correct this time? Uh, yeah, that's great. No, okay. no, I think that's that's a great starting place. And as I said, I'm wel I welcome people if they want to join the community and um, and meet some of the folks uh, you know who are chatting about these things. Yeah, that's great. We'll put it on the description. Uh, Jake, you got stuff to plug? Yes, uh, I am going on tour in two weeks through the Southwest with my friend Avery Moore, who is uh, one of the funniest comedians ever. So I'm very excited. We're going to go from Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Fort Worth, Oklahoma City, Albuquerque, El Paso, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. So if you're in any of those cities, check Probably. out my pinned tweet. Look up the venue. This motherfucker. He <laughs> did not mention that on August 12th, the night before he goes on oh, shit. his tour, <laughs> he's going to be at Casual Sets in New York City, my show. I forgot. Uh, at Asylum NYC. Please check out, uh, what is it? No, uh, Casual Sets NYC on Twitter to get the ticket link. It's Jake and also a bunch of other funny comedians that I know you will like if you like this podcast. So please come out. You know what I found out? Uh, the reason that the show is not being web cast or whatever like streamed is because of that shortage of chips that's Ooh. happening computer chips oh, really? you guys have heard yeah. of this yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. so the venue hasn't been able to get a web streaming okay camera. we have to invade yeah. bolivia i'm not a communist anymore exactly so no web stream happening this summer but if you're in new york city please come out we would love to see you and um write us an email for the next mailbag which we are absolutely going to do this week yep. okay i think that's it bye bye cheers